tell them, MG. Never rat on your family. Never. Filthy. Use a bitch. The City of Brockton is now in your hands. The Brockton Mass City of Champions app is a revolutionary civic app that will give whoever downloads it a full picture of the City of Brockton. Users of this app can discover new businesses and restaurants, have access to the local transit system schedule, learn who the Brockton elected officials are, explore attractions and amenities, and stay up to date with the latest news and information going on in the City of Champions. Among the many amazing features of the app is its business directory feature. This business directory is comprised of over 2,000 known businesses in the City of Champions. Business owners who claim their business will have the advantage of free promotion on the app. They will have the ability to inform users of their menus, special deals and discounts, and any other pertinent information. Here's how to claim your business. First, on a laptop or computer, visit claim.mycivicapps.com and click the Claim My Business button at the bottom of the screen. Next, type in Brockton Mass City of Champions plus your business name in the appropriate search bars. Once your business appears on the screen, press Claim. Enter a name, email, and password for the account and click Continue. Finally, fill out all of your pertinent business information. This includes everything from the business location, hours, and more. Once complete, click the Save and send to moderator button for a final approval. Once the moderator approves, your account is all yours to customize and use however is best for your business. If you cannot find your business on the app, please email listmylocalbusiness at gmail.com and a moderator will ensure your business is inputted into the app for you to claim. The Brockton Mass City of Champions app is available for download on both the Apple and Android app stores. Download the app today. All right, all right. Is everyone here? Ants. Yes, sir. Roaches. Yeah, whatever. Rodents. Let's get this cheese. All right. Come on, everyone. Settle down. Settle down, please. Look, we all know why we're here. We'll be eating like queens when we're through with this. That pantry's finally ours. Nobody can stop us now. Charge! Old Colony Pest Control, veteran-owned Massachusetts, Rhode Island-based operation with everything you could dream of for your pest needs. Equipped with top-of-the-line gear to guarantee your home is protected and staying healthy. Phone number is 774-400-5993. Give them a call for the backup you need. Tell them that General Red Revere sent you. They handle anything from ants, roaches, ticks, mosquitoes, rats, and more. No wildlife or termites at this time. Hey, hey, watch it, buddy. We're marching. We're marching.
Trick of the Play, a cash team production, is looking for actors and singers to fill several slots for this upcoming live play. For more information, please call 216-394-8926. That's Sugar the Play, auditions at 216-394-8926. Know in the visual, having the opportunity to have a better life for themselves or for their children if they have the chance to scale a wall, to swim across a river, they're going to take it. And the sad thing is, most Americans don't know what freedom really is. We will move forward to pass comprehensive immigration reform and a path towards citizenship. They are laying waste to the very American Republic that has been the greatest country in the history of the world. I did agree with some of the things that Donald Trump did, right? Because I do believe that there should be a vetting process. Is that unreasonable to ask? Make sure you don't, you're not affiliated with any gangs? Why would we want you here? Get out. The majority of the crimes that I prosecute as the chief law enforcement officer in Suffolk County are citizens of this country. We grow enough here, we don't need to import more. If I could deport them, I would. Life hard is so hard in Haiti or in the country that they had before, they'll take the risk of getting caught. If you have five, ten thousand dollars to pay a coyote to bring you illegally across the border, pay to apply and come here legally. She always said that like my situation is different, that I don't have the same opportunities as everyone else. I'm not going to tell you about their life walk. I'm not going to tell you about how they got here. I'm not going to tell you about the journey they're experiencing. No, that doesn't matter. Them. They. Sooner or later, I started to get brought into like meetings with lawyers. On day one, we end a border policy which allows federal agents to snatch babies from the arms of their mothers. That's when I realized like I'm an outcast. Where is my protection? Where is my family's protection? I need to know who you are because if I sneak into Mexico and I commit a crime, there's no documentation of me being in Mexico. We come from, you know, maybe different backgrounds where we share similar experiences. I am you. you. I, I am you. In the end, we remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. This is Andrea LeClaire, and you're listening to Hoobazoo Radio at hoobazoo.com. Here's Mac. That's a green in front of him. Oh, now has no. it. And oh, where are they going to spot it? No. <laughs> Mac's going to run right out of the stadium. <laughs> Mac Jones. <laughs> 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 Look at him doing the gritty. 
poop. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh. That's awesome. It's not about winning. It's about fun. What's that? Fun is when you... Fun is... It's like... It's kind of... Sort of like a... What is fun? I... Let me spell it for you. Hey, what's up, guys? It's your boy, Sinister One, broadcasting live from the City of Champions. You'll listen to the booth, and actually, I thought I had timed that perfect to start right at 7, and actually ended about a minute and a half early, so we're going to get the show on the road just a little bit early tonight. Just one minute early. It doesn't really matter. Sit down. And um, <clears throat> we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, I've got my guys on with me, as you can see, sitting here right now. And first of all, I got to give big thanks, a ton of podcast love out there to everyone all over the world who's watching the booth. Um, I go in and check my analytics on YouTube. I go in and check my analytics on Anchor Spotify. And I got to show some love to Ireland. I got to show some love to India. I got to show some love to um, Sweden. For some reason, I'm getting 15% listener and viewership in Sweden. I, I It's good stuff. So, hey. 
I'll take what I can, and I want to thank everybody. As you guys see, my guests are on with me. It's the first Tuesday of the month with Ken Diesel in R-Squared on with me. I got a lot of people in the chat already hanging out with us, and I'm really glad to see that. Like I said, we got a lot to talk about, so let me just blow through my sponsors. MDB Electronics, Michael Douglas Barreto. If I need a controller fix, lifetime warranty, I get my controller out to this guy here. He gets it back to me, and I'm back to gaming. Also, Viana Marie, music found everywhere, streaming everywhere. You want to make sure to show us some love, show us some support. Uh, Vianamarie.com, and also that new video, Let's Roll, is coming soon. We've already started the countdown clock, so keep your eyes out for that. <clears throat> Tactical target systems, that's where I get my targets from when I go to the range and I have to worry about the zombie apocalypse or the robot apocalypse. Now I got to worry about Red Dawn in the hood. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I've switched from zombie targets. I was asking for mechanical robot targets. I might need Rusky targets now. Uh, from Tactical Target Systems, if things keep heading the way they are. Got to talk about my t-shirt winner here, uh, Felicia Damon. Thank you for sharing your great picture with your kids with us. She was our winner last week of a t-shirt. If you're live in the chat, there's a good chance you can win yourself a t-shirt. The winner before that was Mike Smith. Thank you to him. And uh, Old Colony Pest Control, Carl Bunnell, veteran-owned, res residential and commercial, 774-400-5993. Veteran owned. We're showing our support for veterans here. Uh, spring is on the way, guys. Pests are going to be around. You want to make sure they hit up General Red Revere and get him out. But as I said, tonight's show, tonight's show, the main focus is on the Ukraine invasion, which began last week, pretty much after the show kicked off. Um, tonight at 9 o'clock. President Biden will speak at the State of Union address. It's probably going to be the most watched thing tonight at 9 o'clock. So we're going to make sure we're off. And um, I think 8.30 is Maddie C. Sports for you and me. And then at 9 o'clock is Kevin Jeffries. Happy hour with Lito. And then you guys can jump on and check out the State of the Address um, with Joe Biden. Um, let's get right into the news booth. As I said, I've got my guys on with me over, as you see to the left, Ken Diesel up top. Robert R. Squared down below Ken Diesel. Um, I've got a couple of stories that I'm going to table from last week with these guys from the legal booth, but let's get right into the news booth. Just a real quick funny story here. New Bedford is set to purchase the New Bedford Armory building from Massachusetts for a whole $10. Now, people are probably saying, why are they selling a building of that, su of that such status to... New Bedford for $10. Well, here's the reason, people, when you click the story. The New Bedford Armory, for years, has been known to be haunted. And the realtors have even put it in the disclosure that their, this place is, over the years, has been known to be supposedly haunted. No one wants to buy the property. The property's been sitting there. Massachusetts has said to New Bedford, if you want to buy it, name your price. They just sold it for $10. Now, for what I'm hearing that has gone on in this armory and things of that sort, you couldn't pay me $10 to stay in this new Bedford armory. Um, so I just I just found it funny that they actually disclosed that the house is haunted. Now, if Ken's a legal guy, he may have heard this before, but if I'm not mistaken, there is a law that changed about three, four years ago that if a house is presumed haunted, that... Realtors have to disclose that in the seal. Is that correct? 
Well, yes and no. It, it's not haunted. What they've done is they've amended disclosure statements that there are, under the things you've got to disclose, if there are unnatural events near it. And this was... Now, <laughs> now there's a reason for it, and it's a little less supernatural, more practical. There was a scandal about 10 years ago where a housing development was built on a cemetery. Yeah, like Poltergeist? Like Poltergeist, where they didn't move the bodies. Because we all saw that movie. Right, where they didn't move the bodies. <laughs> what happened was someone went and was digging up and was, and was going out and make, make, putting a swimming pool in this property, and they found the coffins with the live bodies in them, or dead bodies in them. That scared the crap out of everybody. So that's where that's where the disclosure. Now it's been interpreted to mean supernatural events, yes, but it, it's a little more practical than that. So, but yes, technically you are correct, seems to one, but it's more more of the fact that if there if you there's properties being used as cemeteries or body disposal places, that's where they got disposed of. Also, look, there's ghosts too. Look, you can spin it any way you want. If you you can say unnatural. That to me still says haunted Ken. <laughs> I'm not going in there with any sage or anything of that sort. Um, unnatural, unearthly events still says haunted to me. You can keep that money. <laughs> so, man, that's because um, you're a coward. You're just a coward. <clears throat> give, giving in to the legal booth. Uh, Mass General Hospital yesterday settled a 14.6 billion dollar lawsuit. And this is, this is something that should be eye-opening for people. Um, Mass General Hospital was double booking surgeries. And they now have to pay out 14.6. And I'm going to let Ken talk about this from a legal aspect. I'll let Rob chime in. But this is just, again, this is just the rich getting richer and pulling the wool all over, over everybody's eyes. Double booking surgeries is heinous. In other words... You're booking two people for surgeries. The doctor is performing the surgery at the same time while they're billing the insurance companies and charging the patients for separately. I'm going to let Ken explain the legal reason why this is wrong. Because a lot of people are like, well, I don't see the big deal about this. It is a big deal. It's a major big deal. And and Mass General, which is a, which is a prestige hospital, to get caught doing this, I'm going to let Ken explain it because a lot of people don't see why this okay. is bad, why this is a big deal. Massachusetts, like virtually every other state, I think except for Louisiana, has very strict rules regarding staffing requirements of surgeries, but how they are to be conducted. This also deals with sterilization of instruments and of the room and other things. So first of all, what they were doing is they were violating those standards. The other thing is, it's insurance fraud. If you tell an insurance company that you're doing one surgery per room during this time with this many people, you get a certain you get a certain break in your insurance because the more people you have in a surgical theater, the lower your rates are going to be because there's less chance of something going on going wrong. There's something called redundancy is good principle or RIG. It's very common. I think the military insurance has it. Scuba divers have it. When you have multiple surgeries, you have less people in the room. Therefore, you're creating a greater chance of an error occurring. So it's insurance fraud on top of that. 
Number three, it's just stupid. Okay. <laughs> because when you do double surgeries, you're putting your, your physicians and your nurses and your, and your surgical technicians under a time crunch. And anybody knows anything, the faster you do something, the greater the chance it's going to, <coughs> there's going to be an error. And yeah, that's why <coughs> virtually every state union has rules against doing that to avoid mistakes happening, like surgical instruments getting lost in people's abdomens, sponges, stuff like that. So that's the reason they got caught. And they're lucky people didn't go to jail or lose their licenses. Mm, mm. Um, Oscar, anything you want to add to that? Nope, that was spot on. All right, cool. All right, now we're going to get into, I tabled this question because um, I had these guys in the chat and we talked about it, but they weren't on last week. But this one came out today. Um, three officers who were involved in the George Floyd death, they were found now found guilty on the federal charges in George Floyd's killing. I'm going to let Oscar kind of touch base on this, this one here, because he was the one that had said when we had discussed it, he had felt that they were going to be found guilty on the federal charge too. Um, Osquid was was very on dead on on this one. So I'm gonna let you explain this one, Osquid. Yeah, I mean, Ken studied the same thing that I did. It, it comes right down to the same provision in the U.S. Code that they. Uh, it's not that they were prosecuted for the very same act of murder because that's what the state did. They were prosecuted under the federal statute because they committed the murder based on racial discrimination. That as a violation of civil rights, in this case, it was racial discrimination. In other words, the officers were motivated to uh, have allowed Derek Chauvin to proceed with what he did to Mr. Floyd because of his race. And so there was ample evidence, um, first of all, that Chauvin was, was motivated that way and that these officers had failed to, uh, to protect uh, Floyd from, you know, Floyd's civil rights from Chauvin's attack, basically, you know, it was one thing if they had used, you know, force of some kind to subdue him if he was arresting and then you'd have all kinds of discrepancy over what force was necessary and whether he was resisting and what have you. But remember, this is a guy that was was flat on the ground, uh, clearly unable to move. And and, you know, Chauvin was kneeling on him for nine minutes on his neck for nine minutes. You see, so you can't make an argument that there was any amount of force necessary to subdue him uh, for the majority of that time, even if maybe there was an initial claim to subdue him. So uh, it was a no brainer of a case, really. Anything to add to that, Ken? No, Rob nailed it on point as usual. All right. And moving on, one that I tabled from last week because I, I want I, I wanted to get the information from these guys and let them speak to a lot of people on this one. Um, Last week, the three gentlemen who were convicted of killing Ahmaud Arbery down in Georgia, they were also now found guilty of a hate crime in on the federal level. Now, what surprised me in this one is that they were able to prove that these three gentlemen were racist by getting text messages from the past that they had with other people. For example, um, one of these gentlemen... He worked at a place with a woman who was white and, you know, he made comments. He sent her text messages and things of that sort that proved he was a racist. But the thing he didn't know was, is that this white woman that he worked with was married to a black man who 
obviously she didn't know that she had every right to file a discrimination suit if she wanted to because her husband was black so she has every right to file a, a lawsuit but a lot of people don't realize that you can file a third-party discrimination lawsuit a lot of people don't know that so these type of things get kind of swept under the rug my question for these guys were um how can we how do we bring in because i know r square talked about this there was a reason why that they were allowed to bring in past text messages to prove that these guys were racist i always thought that past text messages are inadmissible so i'm gonna let r squared start up first because you mentioned it in our chat that we had and i let ken go in yeah i mean again ken and i studied this extensively in law school the, the rules of evidence tend to be one of the more complicated areas that you study and so you have to take it seriously if you want to graduate uh but you know one of these areas is is the rules of character evidence and it states very clearly that there are certain exceptions uh, contained within the rule. And this is true in the federal system and, and most states use a very similar version of it. They may amend it slightly. So wherever you go, the rule is gonna be mostly similar because I know we have people in different states. Uh, and, that, and that would be that uh, you can use evidence of a person's character to show that they operated with the same plan, motive or intentions. And so in this particular case, to be able to prove that not only did they commit the actions, but that they were motivated to commit the actions because of racial prejudice. It's the same thing we just talked about in Minnesota is that you have to show. So you have, first of all, there was, there was definitely evidence from their actually killing of, of Ahmaud Arbery that they were racist because you have the, 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 the live dialogue that was captured at the time. And, uh, you know, there, there are chats back and forth to each other as they were chasing him. You, you could see that they were using racial terms. And in fact, they targeted him in the first place because he was a black man running through their neighborhood. So, you know, they, they, they had real time evidence of it. But then you could also go back and say, look at all the times that they have engaged in conversations of a racist nature, uh, discriminatory nature. Uh, some type of, it doesn't have to be white supremacist necessarily, but some evidence that they look differently upon uh, people of color, specifically African-American people, whatever it might be, uh, that they think of them as lesser or uh, that they have some kind of motivation. Because when you put it together, how do you, how do you put a puzzle together? You take all these different pieces and when the pieces lie flat together in the right sequence, it paints a picture. Well, that's what this rule of evidence is. It allows you to collect puzzle pieces and if you, could, if you can, if you are able to put those pieces in a way that makes a picture like the one behind me or the one behind Ken, uh, and you can paint that picture, then it's admissible as evidence that they acted in conjunction with those beliefs that the, pic, that the puzzle pieces show. Mm. Mm. And Ken, it, you speaking it, as a defense attorney. Exactly. What, you're, what you had talked about before is a general rule that says you can't use prior events to prove an actual event that occurred. For example, if I'm accused of taking a baseball bat to your tricycle, that, that monstrosity that you had, that motorized tricycle. <laughs> Looking at you, sinister one. <laughs> I'm only joking. Sinister one knows that. You cannot use evidence that I previously used a baseball bat under motor, other motor vehicles. However, because the mere fact that I did it before doesn't show a pattern of conduct. However, if every if the other times I had done it, they were the symbolized uh, motorized tricycle. They were owned by. They were all the same color. They were owned by an African American male. 
in a particular geographic area, then it's possible they could bring in to show that I've done a pattern of contact, that I'm targeting a certain group of people of a certain race mm -hmm. owning a certain vehicle to show a pattern of conduct of what I am doing. And it's very important to understand. Remember, he, they did not charge these individuals for the underlying act. What they charged them with was a civil rights violation. Right, yep. Okay, and that's Minnesota. important to understand. And one of the things that you can show in a civil rights violation is that they have acted in a pattern of conduct that this is not an isolated event. They have done this before to other people similarly situated. We could spend an entire semester, and there are actually law school courses on this, talking about when you can and cannot use reputation or character evidence. And there are incredibly thick, very boring books on this issue. And it's very complex. And if I'd be permitted to quote uh, the late great first lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, when she was talking about the New Deal, when she says, if you're confused by what's going on, it just means you've been paying attention. So if you're confused by what's going on in this, it just means you've been paying attention. At the end of the and day, it's pretty great. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, at the end of the day, you, Ken's right. It, it can be very confusing. But at the end of the day, what you have to remember is the federal system has the ability to bring its own set of charges separate and apart from the yes. state. And so the, the federal system chooses not to bring identical charges because the state obtained convictions. If the state had not obtained convictions, then the federal uh, prosecutors may have brought the underlying charges. But because the state got convictions, what they wanted to do, what they felt an obligation to do to that community was say, listen, we are going to come in with a federal civil rights action, a, a criminal civil rights action. A lot of civil rights actions are civil in nature. These, the, there's the, the criminal statute, the same one that they were using for the case in Minnesota that we talked about. Uh, and so that's really what it is. It's the federal system, the Department of Justice, saying that they, they have a policy that they're going to look for cases like this where there is clear evidence of racial motivation, hate crimes, and they're going, uh, they going to bring charges where they can. Hmm. Mm, good stuff. Thank. I knew there was a reason why I held on to this and tabled it for you guys, and I'm glad I did. Uh, getting into the entertainment booth, I've been talking about this Disney Plus making the mistake, and I actually saw the mistake on my own Disney Plus account that knew that these shows from Netflix were definitely coming to um, Disney Plus. Disney Plus makes an announcement, two official announcements. That one, all of the Netflix shows are going to be on Disney Plus. Number two, they're adding parental controls to Disney Plus for these shows because they contain mature content, which also opens the door for Deadpool to now be on Disney Plus, which we both all know that the Deadpool films were R rated and they acquired that when they purchased Fox, but they just haven't put it on there because they're R rated. This opens the door now for Deadpool to also be added. So my yearly subscription of Disney Plus is pretty much paying for itself. I'm pretty ecstatic. Uh, getting into the sports booth is the start of pretty much our talk about the Ukraine invasion. Um, sports booth. Uh, the only thing I'm going to mention that's big news here today in in the United States is that Major League Baseball has canceled the first slate of MLB games. They could not come to an agreement, and um, it looks like well they've already canceled spring training. They've already stopped steroid testing, and now they've canceled the first slate of opening games, which usually kicks off sometime in April. 
Uh, usually around Patriots Day, we usually see that first, the marathon. Usually we see the first Red Sox home opener. So, don't know how long this is going to end. It looks like they're in it for the long run. Um, just get ready. Um, the first Ukraine story coming out of sports, the Klitschko brothers, who you guys know are boxers, champion boxers out of the Ukraine. Um, they have decided that they're going to take up arms against this Russian invasion because they don't have a choice. Um, we're seeing a lot of Ukrainian athletes that we see here in America that have made names for themselves that are stepping up and fighting for their country. Um, we're seeing them on their Instagrams and their Twitters. And, you know, it's kind of showing us the type of heart that these people have for their country. Now, I have a lot of people out there who... I'm going to talk about when we get into this the Trump part of this because it seems like a lot of these people who are saying these things are kind of Trump supporters or as we've now titled them Trump Americans. We're not name calling. We actually explain what a Trump American is, and that is now a title if you watch this show and 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 you know converse about this. Um, also, if you're a FIFA fan, FIFA is big. We're ignorant here to FIFA in America as to how big. FIFA is um, the head coach of the locomotive Moscow team, um, Marcus Grizal. He has stepped down. He is the head coach of that team. He's not happy with what Putin has done, so he's now stepped down. Also, FIFA has just really started their season of soccer overseas, and now you've got a lot of teams are refusing to play Russia. In these games leading up to, you know, what we, you know, it's, it's a big season. FIFA's huge. Um, and as these teams are turning their backs and they're refusing to play, this is big. So keep your eye on FIFA because, uh, like Mr. Gisdahl said, he said in the statement to a German media outlet, and he's German, remember this, this is, this is big, um, that I cannot pursue calling my work in a country whose leader is responsible for a war of aggression. And what I'll mention real quick here is that um, Zelensky had a speech during the parliament. We're going to show that clip in a little bit. But there's something that people really need to know when we talk about this, when we get into this. So let's get into the Biden bombshells. <clears throat> Ken, Ken had about... his hand up while you were reading that. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Ken. Yep, go, go, um, go, go ahead. Not, had not only are clubs in FIFA refusing to play Russia, FIFA, the organization, has suspended Russia's membership in the international community. Oh, shoot. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't know that. earlier today. They will no longer allow th their games to be played, and they will not count towards the standings. And let me just say something. FIFA makes the NCAA and the NFL and MLB and NBA look clean by comparison. So if FIFA <laughs> is taking on a moral decision, you know you done screwed up. This is like hell going out and saying, you know, folks, we're all into evil, but you people just take it up way too far. That's how screwed up. Why, penal why penalize the team? The players have nothing to do with the decision. Oh, so you're really only right. No, ahead, I, 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 here's the here's the analogy. I used this one earlier today when somebody asked me a question about it. If you are, are at the county fair uh, and it's gone on for several days, and uh, you know you, you're in line for the porta potties, right? And they're all kind of full, and you go to you know, you go one of the stinkiest porta potties and you and you jump in. That's what happens if you play Russia in sports right now. You you mm. it's the same thing as jumping in a full porta potty. You have that stench. You have that crap all over you. 
because by acknowledging that Russia has some legitimacy on the international stage, that they, that they somehow deserve to be part of international competition, then that's, you know, that's the analogy that, that I draw. It, it's like jumping in a full porta potty. And so th the fact of the matter is that yes, the athletes are not in the military, which really doesn't matter. The athletes are not in the government, which really doesn't matter. The athletes have chosen with, with all legitimacy to, to represent their nation. They have every right to do that. However, their nation now needs to be a, an absolute pariah. Their nation needs to be cut off and isolated from every possible component of society. And that includes things like sports. There's no right to play sports. If you're good and you could make a team, then good for you. Then you can play sports, uh, but there's no right to do so. And Russia has no right to participate in international sports. Um, you know, what they're doing in Ukraine is not a joke. What they're doing in Ukraine is, I know we're gonna to get to this later, but my, my point is oh, yeah, that, yeah. that these international, the, the Olympics suspended Russia. They, they were kicked out of the Paralympics and uh, they suspended from all international play. I mean, so it's, it's not just FIFA, which was very notable, uh, I think it's pretty much every international sporting body right now has temporarily suspended Russia's right to play. And that might also include, this is going to be the interesting thing, uh, Russian athletes playing on non-Russian teams like the NHL. Um, and, and that's going to be interesting because now, now it's put up or shut up time, America, because you've got, and, and again, the athletes are living here. They have nothing to do with Putin's war, but um they're not doing anything to help either necessarily. And so they need to understand that they might be victims of this thing, but this is what's necessary to do right now to disgrace Russia, to disgrace Putin, to pressure Putin into stopping the invasion. It's not like we could just wait. Every day there's un, you know, the, the incredible damage is being done, loss of life and destruction of property and everything that we see that we'll talk about in a moment. And so it's not like we could just sit back. We have to do everything now. And, and so, sorry, but that's, that means that all Russian athletes need to be kicked out of wherever they're playing and that they shouldn't be allowed to play, whether it's team competition or, or you know, whatever it is, that's it. You're done until, until Russia fixes this problem. Wow. And, you know, we're seeing this. We're seeing um, heavy protesting going on in Moscow. We've seen some heavy protesting going on in all of Russia. And... Um, Let's see what's going to happen because there are some things that we're going to get ready to talk about in this. So last week we get off the air. I get off the air and, you know, there's this whole threat that Russia is going to make its move into the Ukraine on Wednesday, they were saying. Um, I had talked about this on the show because there was kind of a war of words going on. It was very interesting to watch as they did enter the Ukraine just around showtime. Um, they actually entered the Ukraine and, you know, everybody was starting to speak on it. And the first thing everybody did, including myself, was, okay, where does China stand in this? Because that's the key. So what China does in the press, China goes out to the press, um, President Xi, he gets up and he says, well, he goes, we're not really going to condemn, we're, we're, we're upset at what the U.S. is doing, but we're not going to condemn what Russia says. They kind of play Switzerland and Xi says... Well, you know, the Minx Accords are in place, so he should really be following the Minx Accords. So that was China just saying, hey, we're going to stay back right now. We're not going to do anything, in the and, and that's in the press. And I love this because people who are not paying attention, 
all these leaders were utilizing the press. So 30 minutes after Xi says that, Putin comes out and he says, well, guess what? The Minsk Accords don't exist anymore. So I can absolutely go into these two independent countries with nobody stopping me. So that was kind of telling China, hey, okay, you either got to get on the pot or get off. You're either with us or against us. Now, as of today, China is still kind of staying back. And I've said this before and I said it again. They, they, oh, it's changed. R squared. China was never on the sidelines. They backed Putin from day one. They said they would buy all the oil so that nobody could boycott Russian uh, gas and oil because that's their source of income. Uh, China has had Russia's back in every aspect of this thing. They, they, they're, they're expressing their, their longstanding worldview where they try to you know, play the long game and they try to say that every, every country or every people deserves some form of self-determination. Well, mm -hmm. that's a farce. We know China doesn't believe that because they're, they're an aggressive power themselves. And you know what they did right. in Hong Kong and, and their threats to Taiwan and, and uh, their, their you know, claims, their, their activities in the South China Sea that I've spoken about on the show. And so, you know, China, if, if anybody believes for a minute that China is not firmly backing Russia, then uh, as Ken likes to say, there's a bridge we'd like to sell you. <laughs> so, but, so, they're just, so they're just pretty much China is doing this for FaceTime in the media, but behind the scenes, they're, they're showing their support. Of Russia. Yes, and because they said publicly, they said publicly <coughs> that they would buy all of Russia's oil. So that's taking mm. sides. If, if there was, you know, if the right now, the sanctions actually don't include Russian oil because of the international oil prices. Europe was up in arms, so we didn't put oil on the sanctions list. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had good unity like the way we have right now. That's a trade off. It's a, it's a very it's a bad trade off. And I would have disagreed with it, except for the fact that China was going to buy it anyway. So we might as well buy it and keep our oil prices down since China was going to buy it anyway. That's the problem right, with sanctions. Right. When when you have a power like China that isn't going to play uh, play along or Russia. And if it was a different situation where Russia doesn't play along, you know, that's why sanctions don't work, because people continue to circumvent them. So that's the you know, that's the challenge. But China all along has backed Russia's play and Putin knew it before he did this. Hmm. Uh, I got somebody in the chat that said, hey, Keith, are you sure? Okay, Eugene Marrow, BHS assistant coach. Our prayers and blessings go out to his family. He passed away today. Uh, he was the former principal of Brockton High, so our prayers and blessings go out to him. See, and this is why I tabled this discussion for R-Squared and these guys when they come on, because I know that they would tell me what is really going on, even though I'm seeing what I'm seeing in the news. So that's where I was talking about the Minx Accords. And then let's get into this. It was funny because shortly after um, <clears throat> they got into the Ukraine, Russia took over a strategic point, which is Chernobyl, which is the site of the former nuclear disaster. And for those who are video gamers like us, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, which was one of the best video games of all time. That Modern Warfare had a scene um, called No Russian. If you guys remember, it was a questionable scene where the Russians went into an airport and they didn't speak Russian. They spoke American and then they shot up the airport and killed all the people to make it look like the Americans went into the airport and killed, which started this world war. Uh, in this game, there is a mission where the American snipers have to go into Chernobyl because the Russians have taken over Chernobyl, which was just so surreal. I'm going to ask our squared. Um, this was one of the first things people were wondering why... 
this was considered a strategic spot to take right out the gate when it's just damaged lands and there's really nothing around. I'm going to ask I squared that one because he's our military guy. There are different reasons to take territory. And so sometimes you need territory because you need to use it as a staging area. Sometimes you need to take territory because you're going to travel through it because it's more favorable than going through, let's say, mountains or, you know, swampy type territory. Uh, sometimes you need to do it because it uh, gives you lines of communication. Uh, you could do it to prevent your enemy from having access for its own, you know, their own uh, ability to move around. So there are a lot of different reasons why uh, people, you know, one force or another can uh, can take territory that that isn't always obvious because if you don't know what the battle plans are, uh, what have you. So maybe Russia wanted to put uh, uh, artillery pieces there. Maybe they wanted to put air defense uh, pieces there um, to, uh, you know, to prevent Ukraine from using what little air force they have. Uh, there are a lot of different things that they could possibly be doing. It's not that Chernobyl itself is valuable, but its geographic location um, is centrally located in, in such a way that they, uh, they wanted to deny the Ukrainians the use of it. It was an easy place for them to move across the border, and it was an easy place for them to put large number of forces and vehicles and stuff like that. Ken? It also is, very importantly, like most nuclear power plants, they're near rivers and streams and other, other places. And rivers, as any military officer will tell you, are a great way of moving a lot of heavy equipment from one place to the other. You can't bomb a river. There are very few trees in the middle of a river. There are a few, tends to be not a lot of obstacles, so they are, they are deemed to be highways. And Chernobyl is at the corner of at the crossroads of several major rivers. And to hold on to that area is very strategic by, by making it difficult for the Ukrainians to use it to move equipment and logistics around uh, in, an easy, in an easier method than going over land. Yeah, Ken, that's exactly right. That the, the Russians aren't using the rivers, but they want to right. deny the Ukrainians the ability. For example, all this uh, weaponry and supplies that are coming from various NATO countries in the United States have to get to Ukraine and have to get within Ukraine to the fighting areas. And so these rivers would be a way to do that, except Russia is going to prevent that from happening. Right. Wow. And uh, that's why I had to ask that. <clears throat> and um, U.S. agrees. I'm going to let our squid and Ken get into this one. So the U.S. allies got together and they put their sanctions in place. One of the big things that they talked about and put against Russia was they removed and limit Russia's access to the SWIFT banking system. Now, a lot of people don't even know, and it's probably the first time they've actually ever heard of this so-called SWIFT banking system that everybody in the world, the major co countries, use. Um, I'm going to throw this to Asquid and kind of let him put this in layman's terms to explain the SWIFT banking system and as to why pulling Russia out of this access hurts them, for those who are listening. So the whole purpose of the sanctions regime is obviously to put enough economic pressure on Russia that they have to end their war against Ukraine, because, you know, we're not going to go to war in Ukraine physically. So we'll, we'll try to do our best to supply the Ukrainian forces. Uh, but most importantly, the, the issue has to be to uh, put maximum pressure on Russia to collapse its economy, to prevent Russia from doing business, uh, you know, hurt the oligarchs, hurt, hurt Putin uh, to make sure that enough pressure is on them that they say, wow, we can't we can't do this. We can't survive. We're losing our money. 
the banking system that you reference, it's not a bank in the way that we think of a brick and mortar bank. It's not a place with a vault. It's not a place with tellers and ATM machines. It's a communication system. And it's a, it, I'm not an economist nor a banker, of course, but what I understand about this is it is a, a high-speed communication system that controls a lot of the world's banking communications. And so by taking Russia's access away, it prevents them from having access to their uh, 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 assets and from moving assets around and, and things like that. So what you're doing basically is, you know, if you were if you were thinking, you know, use it as the analogy of traffic, right? If you close a highway, traffic stops; it can't go anymore until the highways reopen. This is the financial equivalent of that. Go ahead, Ken. If I may just expand on Robert's point. Let's examine exactly where the majority of Russians' money comes from. Well, that's our petrodollars. Petrodollars are defined as any revenue you make through the sale of petroleum and petroleum products. Now, the way this is done in the global scale is, let's say you have country A, let's say Germany, and they want to buy 10,000 gallons of Russian fuel. It's very simple. Someone in Germany calls up and says, we want to buy 10,000 gallons of fuel. The Russian petroleum complex, I don't know the name of it, will say, okay, it's normally $5 a gallon, but you're buying 10,000, we'll charge you $4 a gallon. They say, great, send us a purchase order. You will email them a purchase order. On the bottom of the purchase order, there are instructions on how you pay it. It's a bank-to-bank -bank transaction. The bank that handles that transaction is, is known as SWIFT. So basically, someone in Berlin presses a few buttons, and that money goes from the account in Berlin through the SWIFT system to the account owned by Russians. So now, if Russia wants to sell anything, they've got to use hard currency, meaning they've got to go find someone who is willing to give them basically a suitcase full of money. And then they got to take that money and put it into their bank. But then they can't buy anything with it. Because they got, then they got to go to whatever they want to buy. They've got to go to those those um, sellers and actually physically hand them the money. If you think that's complicated, imagine you going through life today without using a credit or a debit card or online payments. When was the last time you you bought groceries without using a debit card? Right. <laughs> or bought fuel. I'm doing everything through apps now. Right. Yeah, I'm do doing apps. everything through apps now. Yeah. No, yeah. Imagine you're doing me. without a bank. Me, imagine trying to cash a check without a bank. Mm -hmm. That's basically what what the international community has done to Russia. We've taken away your yep. banking. So basically, you got to do basically you got to have money in a vault someplace like Scrooge McDuck if you want to conduct international commerce. Well, would that be where, let's roll back, is that where China comes in, Osquid, like you were saying, behind it, the scenes? Well, it is, but remember something else. Ever since 2014, Putin and his oligarch buddies have been stockpiling billions of dollars of cash in the country. They, they've been prepared for this to happen. I don't think they realize the extent of the damage and how fast it would occur, but they do have a lot of cash on hand. But as Ken pointed out very correctly is nobody's going to accept their suitcase of money. They have no way of getting it there. Right. And right now, as long as the sanctions hold, no one's going to sell them those type of things. So it, 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 it's working. They do have the cash. 
because they they were learning their lesson after you know the right. first Ukraine invasion. But as long as the sanctions hold, now you're right. China is willing to sell them things. China is willing to sell them things for the cash. They're willing to sell them things on credit. China will sell anything to anybody. They don't care. That's why we call them China Incorporated, right? That's what they're known around mm-hmm. the world because right. they they put everybody out of business. They make everything, uh, and then they hold you hostage to their you know to their shipping. That's part of the issue with you know supply shortages that we have now. It's all the stuff that China makes that we don't make anymore, and now we're stuck waiting for China to send it to us. Well, that was a smart idea, wasn't it? Exactly. But here's the thing with, with China. Remember, China and Russia are natural competitors in the Central Asian area. And while China is, is backing Russia's play, they're actually looking to Central Asia, especially India and Pakistan, to be power players there. And Russia basically, as get to, I guess we'll get to later, is selling their future for their present. Yeah. yeah, China may be willing to do business, but China's going to be charging them a premium. And then again, how do you get the stuff there? How do you get the stuff from A to B? As Rob pointed out, there's an embargo, which means the international logistics trade is going up against Russia. As a colleague of mine pointed out, he said, this is the equivalent of jumping off the Empire State Building. And then looking, and then then thirty stories down, looking down. So far, so good. Yes, I agree with Rob. They've they've stockpiled a lot of money, but that money won't last forever, especially when right. prices go up. Because the longer this crisis lasts, what happens in a crisis? Prices go up mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. people say, "Oh, whatever that project was, we want ten times the price." And also, "Oh, you got that oil? Well, it was." Maybe the international oil market is at $20 a gallon, but we're going to give you 10 because you can't sell to anybody else. Mm. Mm. Yeah, allow me to clarify, Mm. because when I was talking about stockpiling, I didn't mean on behalf of the nation. I'm talking about their personal money. Oh, yes. So, yeah. So they they could care less about the Russian people. Putin and the oligarchs don't care about the Russian people. They could all die for all they care. They're no better than Stalin in that regard. The issue is that they stockpiled their own money so that they can survive. And right. so that the the impact of the sanctions, you know, it, it may unfortunately hurt the Russian people, including those that are trying to stand up to Putin, which is an unfortunate thing. Uh, but whether it actually hurts Putin personally, no, the guy has a fortune, as do the oligarchs. And it's all stolen money, so they don't deserve to keep it. But I'll get I'll get into that later when we get to that part. Mm, mm, what mm. I would we, do for uh, the like sanctions. I said, we got a we got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of stuff. And U.S. allies have now agreed to release 60 million barrels of oil from their reserves as the Russian invasion of the Ukraine causes prices to rise. And they also blew up <clears throat> a, an oil line, a, a pipeline out there, too. So we have seen gas prices kind of creep up. But reserves, it's you know, 60 million barrels of reserves is just a band-aid. It isn't really going to give us any relief at the pump and all these people who are on my Facebook page talking about this is Biden's fault and Biden should have opened up the Keystone and it's like you, the Keystone pipeline was tar sand oil and it, it, had, it wasn't even going to consumers. I'm getting tired of all these people talking about this and you know opening up the reserves is nice but like you guys said the sanctions is number one 
And two, if the sanctions work and the SWIFT bank and all this stuff works, it's going to force them to drop that. Like Ken said, it's going to force them to have to sell that oil cheap because nobody's going to want to do business. So um, that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, <clears throat> and again, it's just, it's craziness. So getting back to China, circling around China, which was real funny because we've talked about this on this show. We've been monitoring this. Um, we talked about this about four, maybe five months ago. Um, China had kind of pushed, pushed the envelope with Taiwan. And shortly after Ukraine was invaded, um, Taiwan scrambled fighter planes as the Chinese aircraft had entered the Taiwan defense zone. Now, of course, everybody's like, whoa, what's going on here? Because the timing was crazy, but... Oscar, I'm going to let you talk about it. Because you said this. You said that China has been doing the most and preparing for this. And you said yourself, it could happen in one year. It could happen in 10 years. But you have said that, that that Taiwan has always been on China's target. And I'll let you get into that. Yeah, one. I mean, China, look, for decades, China <laughs> has done done probing of, of Taiwan. They They're... Right now, there's not a current plan for them to invade. They obviously have one ready to go when they decide to do it, and it will happen at some point. But, um, you know, every so often they decide to violate their airspace. They send their Navy too close. They they do various things to, uh, you know, just to intimidate, just to let everybody know that they're there, that they don't recognize Taiwanese independence or autonomy, that uh, that at any point that they want to, they can invade that they can you know they can take taiwan if they want to it may come at a price but they you know they have the ability to do that and so this is just china being menacing you know they, they do it all the time and you don't think that they would absolutely do it during this time you think china is i think, stay I, think where they're at and- I, I think they've already thought about it and decided not to because they they could but if they did mm-hmm. that you know, right now, NATO, uh, you know, is is hell bent on preventing World War Three. And we're willing to sacrifice That's Ukrainian right. people to prevent World War Three, which is something I'm growing in strong <clears throat> disagreement to. But uh, if China were to get involved this way and then, you know, sort of in, in a weird alliance with Russia and they would use this opportunity to invade Taiwan, all of a sudden you have a different scenario going on. Uh, where China becomes more heavily involved, and all of a sudden World War Three emerges. Well, I have someone in the chat, Michael Scott or Scott Michael. He said sanctions are a little too late. Should have left the sanctions, 186 sanctions, and called the Nord Stream pipeline in place when Biden took over. He effed up, and now the administration or whoever's in charge is scrambling to take the heat off Biden. People are pissed in this sick of this administration. Well, first of all, Scott Michael, it was Germany who ended the Nordstrom 2 pipeline. They didn't approve it. So that had nothing to do with Biden. I'm going to let I squid Because these are the people that, to me, they're, they're, they get on here and they're super, unfortunately, misinformed and they just want to blame Biden. First of all, Biden just can't cowboy up and send troops into Russia, people. Biden and the U.S. falls under NATO. Whatever NATO wants to do as a collective group, that's what we do. We can't cowboy up and send troops in like all you all are saying, well, Trump would have never stood for this. He would have did this. No, Trump wouldn't have because guess what, people? Trump was in cahoots with with friggin' Putin. They were in a bromance. So just please stop it. Stop it about 
this administration and that administration. It drives me up a wall. We answer to NATO right now. We just can't go and, like I said, cowboy up and rush in there and do what everybody thinks we can do. We can't. And I'm going to let R squared. This is a guy who right now I'm pretty sure General Lloyd Austin, who's the DOD, he's the head of the De Department of Defense. I'm pretty sure behind the scenes that the U.S. is preparing to do whatever. They've already sent 200 troops over there. But again, we have to act as one under NATO. And what's happening right now that we're liking to see is that you've got countries that usually say, hey, like Switzerland and Germany say, hey, we're not, we're not part of this. But now Germany and Switzerland have now said, guess what? We're going to help out. We're going to send troops. We're not happy. I've got this clip when Zelensky speaks at the EU parliament where it's just gut-riching, tear-jerking. Oscar is a guy who worked in the military. He was in the military. He was a JAG officer. He did two tours. Talk about why we just can't cowboy up and go over there and do what all these people you see on social media are talking about. Well, you know, I, I certainly appreciate having the, the listener and, and sharing comments. It's just that the facts are wrong. Uh, when, when President Biden took office, uh, there was not an ongoing issue and he didn't end, you know, whatever sanctions regime was, was going on. And so what you had was, you know, a, a, a less than stellar response in 2008 when Russia invaded Georgia under George W. Bush and a less than stellar response in 2014 when Russia invaded Ukraine the first time under President Obama. Both those presidents had probably, I won't say failing, but not great responses to those two crises because uh, neither one of them had strong support from NATO. Uh, neither one of them was gonna go to war with Russia over these issues, You know, the country of Georgia or the country of Ukraine, especially at the time, Ukraine was not even, uh, had, didn't even have a democratically elected government. They had a Russian puppet government. And so uh, they were just starting to become democratic. So there were a lot of complications back then. President Biden took over and then, you know, at some point in the last few weeks, you know, Russia starts uh, deciding it's going to flex its muscle and, and moving troops around and basically telling the world that they're about to invade Ukraine again. And, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that if they do it again, this time they mean to do it, that they're going to topple the democratically elected government and they're going to install a puppet government and take control of Ukraine for as long as they need to, to, to reestablish it as part of the Russian empire. Putin's worldview has never been a secret. He's been very consistent in his in his worldview and that he thought the dissolution of the Soviet Union was a mistake. He, in his mind, it was one of the biggest calamities of the 20th century. And it was always his plan, uh, one way or another, to reestablish a Russian empire that would replace the old Soviet empire. Well, Ukraine has always been an independent country. It's actually older than Russia. But, you know, when Russia became a power, and especially under the Soviet occupation, Ukraine was Russia's, uh, was, was the Soviet's breadbasket. And so there's a historical reliance on Ukraine. And so NATO has always understood that, you know, while we want Ukraine to have its own self-determination, that the people have democratically elected government to vote for the people that they want to be in their, in their government, in their parliament, as president, what have you, uh, that, you know, Russia was always going to be sniffing around uh, and getting very nervous if Ukraine became more friendly with Europe, more friendly with NATO, more friendly with the U.S. But that's what the Ukrainian people decided, especially after Putin invaded in 2014. 
he actually made a mistake by doing that because he pushed Ukraine and the Ukrainian people to the West, where there was where there was a much stronger division. It was at best 50-50 to be friendly to the West. It was very controversial domestically for them. When he did his thing in 2014, all of a sudden, Ukraine, even the historically Russian populations of Ukraine said, you know what? This is this is kind of garbage. I think we need to get more friendly with Europe and NATO. So that's kind of the situation that you that you have now. When Putin started flexing his muscle again, evidencing the, the new invasion, that I don't think surprised anybody that it was coming. Just how maybe how brazen or foolish it was, um, the way that he did it. But uh, you know, NATO came together in a way that they had not done before. One of the reasons President Bush wasn't able to do more. One of the reasons President Obama wasn't able to do more was the fact that NATO was not, first of all, NATO as an alliance operates by consensus. Every member has to agree before they can take action. You know, can you imagine how hard it is? The, the, the bigger NATO gets, especially with all these new countries that were added after 1991, uh, you mm-hmm. know, to get a consensus decision on something, it requires you know, a Herculean effort really. And you know, the United States was able to do that in this regard. Germany is wholly dependent on Russian natural gas that Nord Stream 2 pipeline was a huge thing for the German economy and their fuel needs. And yet uh, President Biden was able to convince the new German chancellor to make that part of the sanctions. That's unheard of. Germany was never willing. Merkel, as strong a leader she was, was never able to go along with that for as long as she was in power. So the idea that Germany was able to put Nord Stream 2 on the line, first of all, Putin never believed that would happen. And now he got his ass handed to him on that one uh, because they were willing to do that. Sweden, who's always been neutral, not only now is sending uh, advanced weaponry to Ukraine, they're thinking of joining NATO. That would be great if Sweden comes into NATO. I would love that. Finland, who's always been historically neutral because they share a big border with Russia, uh, has always been historically neutral. They, they suffered Russian invasions throughout the 20th century. And Finland now is thinking long and hard about joining NATO, and they've been sending weaponry to Ukraine. So NATO has never been stronger as an alliance right now. You know, uh, I forgot who brought up President Bush, whether it was you, Keith, or whether it was our listener. But the fact of the matter is President Trump was trying to dismantle NATO, or at least he wanted to pull the U.S. out of it. Um, You know, maybe he wanted to leave NATO as it was, but he wanted the U.S. out of it. He didn't believe in Article 5. Uh, You remember the amazing effort it took for his advisors to get him to commit to Article five during the NATO summit when he was there. That was that was a huge international crisis that that wasn't that was no joke. Um, That was going to be the end of the alliance or at least the U.S. participation in the alliance. And so, you know, that happened. Germany, by the way, just changed its constitution. Think about that. They didn't just change policy. They changed their constitution to spend over two percent of their GDP on military. Mm -hmm. Now, Uh, that happened under President Biden's watch, not under President Trump's watch. And uh, and you look at, uh, let's see, who else? Poland, uh, Romania, all these countries that that entered uh, NATO after the fall of the Soviet uh, bloc uh, are sending weapons you know, to uh, to Ukraine. So you, you have an unprecedented NATO response now, something that never happened in the history of the alliance. Yes, NATO got involved in the Balkans. That was a good thing. Uh, you know, Kosovo and Bosnia and some of those issues, it was sloppy. Uh, you could read uh, Wesley Clark's book, Waging Modern Warfare. It's an excellent discussion of some of the sloppiness of how the NATO alliance worked, but they got the job done. And, and Russia was actually somewhat cooperative for part of that. Uh, but ever since that time, you've had you know, Putin regrowing the empire and NATO has come together stronger than it's ever been in its lifetime. So you know, I think what's happening in Ukraine, I'll, I'll just get to this policy point and then shut up. 
I think what's happening in Ukraine is a travesty. I think what's happening in, in Ukraine is intolerable. I think it's an embarrassment that um, as strong as NATO ha- is right now, that they're not willing to do more. Uh, and I understand it. I could make the arguments as well as anybody in the administration or anybody in NATO, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Stoltenberg or some of the other NATO leaders, military and civilian leaders in the alliance as to why we don't want World War III, as to why we can't commit troops to defend Ukraine. But as I'm watching what's happening, uh, as I'm seeing what's happening to the Ukrainian people who are being denied their basic you know, right of self-determination, their government being taken away from them, uh, and that type of thing, uh, I, I, I don't know anymore. I, I, I wonder, it's, it, you know, if the sanctions, if, if the economic pressures don't work soon, I wonder if we aren't going to be forced to do something militarily. And that's just that's just a little bit of speculation on my part. I don't think we could sit back and watch this anymore. And and what's because, you know, for the first couple of days, Ukraine did a great job. Uh, they they slowed right. the Russian advance. They they put up a great defense. They shocked the heck out of the Russian troops. Uh, but Russia has a tremendous number of of troops in reserve and all kinds of weaponry that they can impose. And if you look at what's happened now, what Putin's response was, was not to respect the Ukrainian resistance, was not to figure out a way out of this, was not to figure out an alternative way for him to to get something out of this. It was to become more lethal. And Russian forces, yes, they're not they're not advancing fast on the cities of, of Kiev and what have you. But what they've what they've started doing was bombing hospitals. This is what they did in Syria all right. those years. They're using thermal <clears throat> barrack explosions. They're using cluster bombs. They use it. They're committing war crimes. I teach this. OK, I, I studied it. I lived it. I practiced it in the military and, and I teach it at the university level. Now I know what a war crime is. I know what the law of armed conflict is. And Russia even if half of these, even if a fraction of these allegations are true, has committed serious war crimes, grave breaches. What, what's the significance of a grave breach? It means there's universal jurisdiction. Every country in the world can prosecute Russian leaders for these war crimes. And they, if, so it doesn't matter where or how, uh, and there's no statute of limitations on that. And so I'm not saying Putin's ever gonna be dragged into a courtroom in The Hague, although that'd be great to see that happen. <laughs> But, you know, if he were to lose power in Russia, you might see something that surprises us all in he or some of the other government leaders, Mr. Lavrov and some of the others uh, being dragged in front of an international tribunal to stand uh, for war crimes because they are now intentionally shelling civilian apartment buildings, hospitals, Mm -hmm. schools. They're using munitions that might be lawful against military targets. They're using them in entirely unlawful ways, which makes it a war crime, uh, such as the thermobaric uh, uh, munitions and um, and cluster bombs and, and things like that, not just the targeting of hospitals and what have you. Uh, there are reports that Russians, uh, their special forces are wearing Ukrainian uniforms to try to infiltrate into you know sensitive areas. That is a war crime. You cannot fight in the enemy's uniform. That is an absolute violation of the Geneva Conventions and other international treaties, war crime. Uh, They are engaging or at least trying to engage in the forced displacement of civilian populations. War crime, can't do it. And so, you know, at the end of the day, how much are we going to sit here and watch? Because Putin doesn't care about war crimes. The Russian playbook has been the same going back to the Soviets. And Putin hasn't changed anything about it. They signed all the treaties, but they never intended to follow them. And they don't follow them. They have committed numerous war crimes in Syria. They committed war crimes in Chechnya. They committed war crimes in Georgia, the country, not 
our state. They, they're committing war crimes in the Ukraine. They don't care about these rules. And so you can, you can have the media and other people screaming war crimes. The International Criminal Court, by the way, the court that was convened by the Rome Treaty in 1992, 94, um, they have opened an investigation, a war crimes investigation against Putin and Russian leaders. And so they are investigating war crimes, whether they, you know, they could prosecute in absentia for as good as that does. But my point is that these are very serious transgressions. And so I am thrilled to see NATO working as, as you know, as extensively and closely and unified as it is. This, is. this is a historic moment. But I'm also a little bit embarrassed that Europe is sitting here watching what's happening to a country that desperately wants to be part of Europe, a, a free and democratic people being, you know, uh, brutally oppressed by Russia, who we all know their history, and, and Europe is not willing to do more. The U.S., I think we would do it. If, if we could get NATO support, we could do something. And I know we don't want World War III and Putin's rattling his nuclear weapons if he would ever dare to use them. Mm -hmm. I, just, I just don't know. I don't think we could. It, it makes me sick to my stomach that we're going to let Kiev fall and the government be sent into exile and, and, and you know, these people repressed. I didn't necessarily feel this way at the beginning because it was more of a speculative you know, speculation. But as I watched the Russian brutality increase in the last day, we can't allow this. We can't allow, this is what the world community exists to prevent. We can't allow it. And we've got a lot of people in the chat. Scott Michael was actually talking about in 2021 when Biden uh, reversed those sanctions. I thought he was talking about just recently just before the north but he's talking about in 2021 like may um we're, we're kind of talking about what's going on now scott so he was he was going back to that so i got to correct that um gloria shea is asking uh putin's capture of ukraine does not give him world power what does he gain by capturing ukraine who wants to say can or ask well yeah if i may going if i if i can pick up on what rob said very quickly before and about what our friend on the computer said, it's very difficult for the United States to act independently in Ukraine's geographical location. Where are we going to land troops? Where are we going to get them from? Look at a map before you comment. It's virtually impossible without NATO support to go into Ukraine. As for what uh, Putin gets by invading Ukraine, mm. if they're looking strictly at a resource management, he gets two things. One, food. Ukraine has been known as the breadbasket of the USSR, the Russian Empire, for a reason. Number two, oil, oil and gas, all petroleum products, now, and, and, and a little bit of, of prestige. I mean, he, he's the Iron Man mm -hmm. of Russia. If I may pick up on what Rob's point is, you know, I have a former fraternity, a fraternity brother of mine who's a retired lieutenant colonel in the Army, and I've actually been IMing about this. Um, and he's very coy. He says, I don't know what's going on, but I know I don't know what's going on, which is his way of telling me is officially we're not sending troops in there. What we're doing unofficially, mm, that gets a little murkier. We have special forces for a reason. We, we have had them since the end of World War II to help underground units. NATO for years had stay behind plans and uh, troops that were designed to help local insurgency groups in case of Russian invasion. And if you don't think NATO is dusting off some of those plans, I think you're incredibly naive. The other reason is not to go into Ukraine, very simply, is, look, right now, 
the Ukrainian population is focused against Russia as being the primary aggressor. If we go in there, then Russia gives the excuse that they're that they're protecting Ukraine from a Russian invasion, i.e. Germany in the 1940s. So I think that's a very important thing. The other thing about the Russians, I mean, again, penny wise, pound foolish. They're not making any friends in Ukraine. That's the one thing the United States and Russia learned very, very quickly after our involvement in Afghanistan is it's one thing to invade a country and occupy it. It's another thing to rule it. There's a reason we call Afghanistan the graveyard of empires. Yes, Russia has no question is committing war crimes. No question the Ukrainian population is taking a beating. However, even if Putin has the troops, and I agree with Rob, he does, numerous, it's going to be a bit of a problem to force Russian supremacy on the Ukrainians. This isn't the Soviet Union in the 30s, 40s, going through the 80s. There's also the problem domestically. Putin is getting a lot of pushback in, in Russia, which is surprising a lot of yes. people. Yes, he is. Because a lot of the people in Russia, they're not stupid. They don't want to send their boys to become, you know, pinatas or, or dolls in a shooting range. They know that, hey, you know, it doesn't take a lot of people to, you know, to go, up, go up into a, a, a isolated military post and blow it up or take out or a sniper. So there's not a lot of support within mainline Russia. And the other thing is I'm not so sure there's a lot of support in the uh, military industrial complex of Russia. Because remember, and this is what you got to remember about Russia, it's a huge landmass. And they've got a lot of non-Russian speaking populations who are not thrilled with Russia, especially in the Western mm -hmm. part and Central Asia. If you're spending a lot of resources in Ukraine, which means you can't be paying an eye on and you've got China out there looking to fill the power vacuum. So I think Russia needed to come to Ukraine, bottle it up really quick and hope the entire universe didn't care. I think Putin really made a mistake on that because the universe is caring. And I do think, I think yes. NATO is going to up their game. Right now, they're not sending any troops and right now they're not doing anything overtly. What they're doing covertly God only knows, and especially if the colonel is correct and Sweden and Finland come in, there's a lot they can do, you know, and there's a lot I think NATO can, can help these people in regards to armaments and uh, uh, supplies. And also, we've got all these, you know, freedom loving convoys. Remember those people with the guns in the Kmarts? Well, mm -hmm. here's your, here's your, here's a great. A great, great, great opportunity for all those people to go over and help the Ukrainians fight against tyranny. And I will be more than happy to pay for their plane ticket. Oh, we're, we're going to be closing out with we're going to be closing out with that. Um, I'm going to talk to our Squid in this one because there were some things here. Russia, who's supposed to be this superpower, and they go into the Ukraine, and let's be honest, it really was kind of the first week or so was was embarrassing for Putin. You know, you go in and logistically your tanks are, are, are running out of gas before they get to the destinations because you logistically you didn't place what you needed to place. How do you think how do you think that played up behind the scenes for Putin? I, I'm pretty sure he had to be pissed that this even got out to social media. And that's the thing, people. This is different. We are getting text messages from Russian soldiers who are getting caught 
and being sent to TV stations that some of these Russian soldiers do not want to be there, but they're forced to be there. So now we're seeing this close up in our faces. We're hearing the stories of tanks running out of gas because they didn't logistically set up their checkpoints and things of that sort. They, I was told, uh, on one of the stories I heard, they miscalculated how long or how many miles it was to take to get to Kiev, which is why they were running out of fuel. Behind the scenes, you're a military guy. This had to have pissed Putin off. Somebody's head had to roll over this, especially the, the fact that it got out to the public. Go yeah, ahead, obviously, Mark. it's a black guy for them. Putin is obviously furious about it. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to know how he reacted. He went off on his uh, intelligence chief, what, what is it, last week? You know, that in, in something they didn't realize was going out live. So, you know, the, the guy has a lot of his own his own problems. Uh, but the problem is the way that he responds to that is, is not necessarily making the situation any better. It's making him more dangerous, making him more lethal. Putin's response to his forces being slowed down because of logistics challenges or the embarrassment he feels because his forces aren't performing up to the standard that he demands of them is he's made them more lethal. That's why I'm saying they've started committing the war crimes now. They've started using more lethality. They've been bombing civilians, which, you know, they weren't necessarily doing that up front. So it hasn't made the situation any better the way that Putin is handling that. So you're right uh, that it doesn't look good for him. But his response is not to make himself look good. His response is to become more brutal, to become more feared. Is that if desperate? That's possible. Is that, is, no, is that's that just his, no, that's no? his tactic. Uh, he, like I said, he doesn't care about the rules and he doesn't care about people's lives. He cares about getting what he wants. And the fact that his his military forces weren't able to achieve a more bona fide, legitimate military victory means he's going to do it by murdering innocent people, whatever it takes to quell the what's going to become the resistance, because at some point, you know, their country or the, their, their country will fall. Their Scott military Michael will fall. Scott. Scott Michael says, Keith, you can't trust what they're... Well, unfortunately, Scott, I can believe it because I don't follow mainstream media for what is happening overseas. I was one of the ones to post that the Russian tanks were running out of fuel and everybody says, where are you getting your info from? This is even on mainstream media. I was actually getting my news from RT and a couple of the raw guerrilla news sites where you just have normal, everyday people. Um, they actually, YouTube and them just actually shut down RT. They're saying it's Russian-controlled media. I liked RT because it was raw, guerrilla news in your face that nobody could change what you were seeing. I saw the video of the gentleman who rolled up on three tanks that had ran out of gas. He had a whole discussion with these gentlemen and laughed. They laughed about the fact that they ran out of fuel. And, you know, this was a Ukrainian guy. He could have annihilated these guys if he wanted to, if he had a weapon on them. But no, he talked to them. They had a chuckle. These guys didn't even know how to get to Kiev. They didn't even know these were tank guys. This was embarrassing. So the problem I is trying to say don't. Yeah, go the, ahead. The, the problem is, well, we could laugh at something like that. Putin's response is going to be to launch missiles into Kiev rather than take it surgically by military and try to preserve the city in, it, in, in as much of its existence as you could. So more people are going to die and more destruction is going to occur as a result of Putin being embarrassed. That's the problem with this. So yeah, it's, it's funny uh, for a minute. Uh, and then it's really sad for the next you know, amount of time because of what's, what's, what's already started to happen and what's clearly going to continue to happen until this thing yeah, ends. They, 
and that's the they problem. They bombed the Kiev TV station today. Yeah, well, that, 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 that's that understandable, but I mean, they're bombing hospitals and apartment buildings and things like that. That's not understandable. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what they're going to do to get the people to, uh, to give up. And, you know, yeah, but he, he, here's the problem with the terror campaign. We've seen governments try to do that in the past, and it's never worked. Unless you can have the boots on the ground, unless you have the logistical support, a terror campaign is going to work. And I agree with what Rob says. A lot of innocent people are going to die. A lot more than should. In fact, in my humble opinion, anytime even one innocent person dies, that's way too much. We are definitely seeing a terror campaign, and Putin's doing that. The problem with that is it's a, one of those cases of cutting your nose off to spite your face. As Rob pointed out earlier in his discussion, that there was a time where the Ukrainians weren't that hot on the West. It was at best, I believe, Rob, your quote was 50-50, if I'm remembering at best, correctly. Yeah. That, that's gone, by the way. I think except for the few Russian uh, natives that are actually in Ukraine, I, I hard pressed to find anyone in Ukraine supporting Russia right now. And that's getting even worse. The other problem is, point, Kate, you point this out, what does he gain? Okay, great. Let's say Putin's able to secure the Ukraine. Well, who's going to do the farming? Who's going to run the power plants? Who's going to run the drilling operations? You know, congratulations, you've won. If I may quote, there was a very famous uh, ancient general named um, Pyrrhus. Pyrrhus is where the term we got Pyrrhic victory from. And it was in mm-hmm. the, uh, I believe, Peloponnesian Wars. And he had, he had won a battle and it was so costly. He was being congratulated by his subordinates on winning the battle. And he said, yes, another, another few victories like this and I'm going to end up losing the war. So I think that's exactly what Putin is doing right now. He's, he's, I agree with what Rob said 100%. He is committing wholesale war crimes. And if there is any justice, and I don't think there is, but if there's any justice, he'd wind up at the Hague with a noose around his neck. That's an issue for another day. But I think this is actually going to force NATO's hand to be more over. Where they actually send NATO troops in, I highly doubt. However, there's a lot of things NATO can do both militarily from a logistical point of view to help out. And I think that at some point, maybe we get around and said, you know something? We're not buying your crude. And uh, China, you want to play ball with us? Because you got two choices. You're going to play ball with us on this issue, or we can make your life miserable as well. Can't beat you, but we can make your life kind of miserable too. And I think the Chinese may be motivated at that point, although I don't know. Here's, here's what NATO can do, and this is where I see the alliance lacking the will to do what is necessary, so it, it may be the bridge too far. What NATO is doing successfully right now is, of course, providing resources to Ukraine, and so that's happening through Poland and Romania and other places that have borders with Ukraine for as long as they can get across the border, so that, that's why Russia's in a hurry to try to seal off the borders to prevent NATO supplies from coming through. Uh, I, I do not believe that there are NATO forces inside Ukraine, other than for the very quick uh, delivery of certain things. But I think the plan, as I've read about it, is to have the Ukrainian uh, forces come into Poland or, or Romania to pick things up because NATO is very careful to not have forces inside the Ukrainian border. So I don't know that that'll happen. But here's what I think does have to happen. And uh, I think the British are some of the ones kind of preventing this from from happening. It's not enough to freeze the assets of the oligarchs, you know, Putin's cronies, his supporters, the way that we've been doing, because at the end of the day, what does freezing do? Nothing. What we need to do 
is freeze the assets and seize the assets. And I understand that that may be a little bit outside of what international law says, but guess what? Russia doesn't care, and I think we need to play just a little bit dirty sometimes. And what we need to tell Putin and the oligarchs is, you see all this money that we seized from your, you know, your accounts, all your property that you own in London and Paris and New York. And, you know, first of all, you know, if this was a RICO case, Ken and I have talked about RICO on the show, it would all be seized because it was all obtained through illegally obtained funds in the first place. <laughs> so it's not like it's really theirs. OK, it's all done by theft and corruption and what have you. So so it's not like it's really their property. It just, of course, it it belongs to them. And so what we need to do is is once we have seized it, because it is frozen, so we can seize it very easily. That's just a push of a button is say, listen, every day that you continue to interfere with Ukraine, we are giving a percentage of that to the Ukrainian people. And you will never see it again because it's gone. It's not frozen where you're gonna get it back when the hostilities end. It is going to the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian people. This is how we're playing, paying for humanitarian supplies. This is how we're gonna to pay to rebuild the buildings that you destroyed. This is how we're gonna to pay to rebuild the roads you destroyed. This is how we're gonna make reparations to the people who have suffered losses of their family members because of what you did. And every day we're gonna give a percentage of your money that you will never ever be able to get back because it's gonna to belong to the Ukrainian people who are spending it. That's what we need to do to Putin and the oligarchs. And the British won't do it because they want, they're desperate for foreign investment in London, not just from the Russians. They want, uh, you know, the Middle Eastern clients that they have in the various Arab countries. They want people from Asia. They want everybody investing in London. So they're afraid if they do this, if they go along with this, their other foreign investment will dry up. Well, that would only be true if these other investors were participating in the same type of uh, war crimes as Russia is. So, you know, if, if that's where you draw the line, I don't, I don't think that's a, you know, a fear well-placed. Also, I don't think they should have a choice in the matter. I think this is what NATO has to do is, and, and look, the Swiss are playing ball. The Swiss never in their history have played ball before, and they're freezing Russia's mm -hmm. assets. So if the Swiss are willing to do that, then surely the rest in Switzerland is not part of NATO, but the, but NATO and all the countries, the US, the British, the French, the Germans, everybody can take this money and give it to the Ukrainians. Give it to us. Uh, uh, Ken? Yeah. Would, I agree with 95% of what Rob said. I'm going to make I'll one, take it. Uh, I'm like one uh, <laughs> criticism. I disagree. I think we are well within our rights to seize and confiscate those assets. Russia? Morally, yes. <laughs> no, no. There's something called the Convention Against Torture, CAT. There's mm -hmm. also against the um, a number of UN res uh, treaties that were signed back in the 40s and 50s, the International Covenant on Human Rights. And they're very clear in that, that one of the things the world community, community can do, that if an offending nature, excuse me, offending nation violates our covenants, assets can be seized. There is a legitimate way of seizing those assets under the Convention Against Torture and the International Covenant on Human Rights. Oh, you're absolutely right. I, I wasn't talking about using the court, the international court system to obtain judgments. I was talking about just doing it as part of the sanctions. Oh, right. the but, thing, why not? But, but you're right. You're right. Why, why don't we go to The Hague and say, you know something? We got an international court of human rights. We got Thanks an international court. Well, um, they'll, they'll get there. They're getting there. The international yeah. court is already seize doing the assets it. and Do it push right it now. through. Right. It, it, also, they have to see their money. You know, it's like lighting something on fire when it you, you can't get right. it back when it burns. This is what we have to do the equivalent of. 
But here's the thing. As you pointed out, Colonel Resnick, because of these massive war crimes, any country has jurisdiction, including the United States. And as you know, under RICO, we can seize their assets. Why not do a RICO investigation against them? As far as I'm concerned, I'm sorry. We we indicted, uh, what's his name? Uh, dictator of Panama. Help me out. Noriega. Noriega. Yep. Noriega. Yep. Right? Noriega. Why don't we do that mm-hmm. with the oligarchs and Putin? I think what he's doing is an ongoing criminal enterprise. His yes. invasion is an ongoing conspiracy to commit crimes. They are war crimes. Therefore, Eastern District of Virginia, uh, the rocket docket. That's what I'm saying. Um, send out a forfeiture notice, put it in the courthouse, seize his assets, and I agree with the rest of it. Give it to the Ukrainians to help rebuild their country. There you go. Nice and legal. How's that? This isn't the first. So for people watching the show, this isn't the first time that Ken has mentioned about Rico being utilized against um, Putin. Um, When Trump first came into office, President Trump, um, Trump Towers was being used by the Russian mafia to fix sports. The Russian mafia was in Trump Towers. They were flooding money and they were fixing boxing matches. They were fixing sports. They were harassing Russian NHL players and the FBI was all over Trump Towers and at that time when we brought this up, Ken, you said it. Put the Rico on Putin. This goes all the way back to Putin and Russia. And I'm going to request Rob's um, support in this. If a Russian citizen comes into the United States and conducts business He's exposing himself to American jurisdiction, even if he's not a U.S. citizen. Would you agree? True. Now, I'm willing to bet that virtually every one of these oligarchs passing Putin has done business in New York. And I know for a fact some of them, as soon as the one you pointed out, have bought apartments in Trump Tower. Therefore, they've, those oligarchs are now exposing into U.S. law. There you no, go. All, all that's true. The, the question is, how trusting are you of some of the, you know, the, first of all, the Department of Justice has to bring the case, which requires investigation, and then you have to have judges that are willing to invoke RICO protections. I'm not willing to put my trust in that. I want us to just do it and then follow it up with court action later. Okay, that may that may be one. I'm just trying to give you a legal framework because you had. No, I, I'm concerns. agreeing with you. I'm saying, well, I don't want to start with that because right. I, there's not no. a guarantee, and we need we need fast results for it, the people of Ukraine. I agree, but if I may, in that case, if I may may quote uh, General George S. Patton Jr., who once said, and I'm not a big fan of Patton for many reasons, but he did say this one quote that I remember: "A less than perfect plan, violently executed immediately, is better than a perfect plan executed four days too late." Exactly. exactly. And maybe maybe Rob's right. Maybe we go in there, grab their assets and say, we're getting in the way. If you don't like it, here's the address of the courthouse. Why don't you file an action to get it back? Yep. You've got two days to start withdrawing from Ukraine or this money's going to the people of Ukraine. You'll never right. see it again. It's as if we right. burned it. Exactly. Right. And oh, by the way, how are they how what grounds are they going to say that these assets are legitimately theirs? Because they, they have to prove they legitimately got it and they got to prove where they got it from. Okay, I'm not so sure, and I say this as a criminal defense attorney, that I'm going to go into court and say, yes, by the way, that's our money, and we got it by, you know, illegally strip mining and working in conflict diamonds or selling drugs or heroin like that. May not be the best thing. 
this is why I don't have my client. I don't have my clients testify a lot. Okay. As my grandfather, Morty, Morty Willow used to say, you have a God given right to keep your mouth shut. Do it. <laughs> and I've said my oh, piece. Man. <laughs> Guys, we are, we've gone long. We're, I've got seven minutes. I got to get ready to get out of here so we can get at Matty C sports for you and me on. He's got a great show tonight. SBG MMA out of Alabama. He's got a couple of fighters on from there on at eight 30. So I got to make sure I'm off in time for him. Um, so I'm going to hold off and show, I'm going to close out the show with the president Zelensky addressing the parliament EU when he receives the standing ovation. It's a great, great speech. Um, before I give these guys one last question, um, what I want to do, what's up, Kevin Jeffries, Maddie C what's going on. He says they're continuing to threaten Russian NHL players. Uh, I got to thank everybody for holding it down and find, you know, buying my beanies and things of that sort. Uh, these are the shows that I produce. I want to thank everybody for showing support with that. Our winners of the t-shirts. We've got a lot of people in chat. I'm just blowing through these right now. AFL is signing up right now. And I want to just get back to these guys because I got one final question that I want to get into. I got to thank everybody. Yo, the chat is blowing up. There are a ton of people watching this show tonight. So big props to everybody. Um, one last question I got to clear out and talk about is this thing with we talked about it and I teased it with Trump Americans. We've we've got we've got a name for people who where Trump could do no wrong. And Trump actually came out and he kind of praised Putin for what he's done. Now I said it on this show last week. I said that there's a reason why Russians are the best at chess. Chess. I'm not taking anything away from Putin. What he's doing is wrong, but the man knows how to play chess and he's he's playing a deadly game of it. Um, the problem here now is that you've got a couple of Trump supporters who are actually there's a there's a guy that they're calling right now the Russian hillbilly. He's over in the Ukraine with the Russian troops, uh, sharing videos and things of that sort. Uh, there are some people, and I'm not gonna. There was somebody close to me that said, "Well, Putin has every right to go into Ukraine because Ukraine was putting up missiles on the borders, so he has every right to do it." This mentality of, of Trump supporters. I'm going to just real quick, we got five minutes, we got to get out of here, but just real quick to touch on that. It's Oscar, you said it. It's almost like a disease. And where does this come from? And how are they ever going to see the light of day, these people? Even this is heinous, yet there are some people... Mitt Romney just said it. Mitt Romney said that he's got idiots in the GOP that are supporting Putin's moves because Trump is that was this week. Yeah. Right from Mitt Romney. yeah you know, it's, it's impossible to answer your question because Trump supporters are not a monolith. People support him for different reasons. And so you've got the MAGA crowd, but even that's not a monolith because you've got some MAGA people that are just plain old white supremacist and, and extremist militia people. You've got other people who are just, you know, economically uh, uh, terrified of competition. You know, there's different reasons why people are doing that. So I, I, I can't even begin to try to answer your question in the short time that we have left. But I will say this. I will say this. When I saw when this was first beginning and I saw former President Trump talking about, you know, Putin and praising his actions and, and a couple of other members of the Putin caucus in Congress, uh, you know, saying similar things. Uh, I, I said to myself, just when I, you know, I stopped saying, could we ever get to a new low? Because every time you say that we get to another new low. But this was something <laughs> I really thought I would never see that you have American leaders, people who know better. These, 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 
they, they know the truth and yet they don't care. They, they know exactly what Putin is and what he's doing and, and everything else. And yet for, for this political game that they play, they are willing to go on television and praise him and take up for him and what he's doing. And I never thought I would see that. I know we could we could be cynical all we want to, that politics has been degrading and there are other bad moments in our history. I, I get it. And we don't have time to go into a whole lengthy history discussion of it. But I really never thought I would see this particular thing. And so the nice thing is the majority of, of congressional Republicans are, are not playing ball on this one. They're actually disagreeing with with uh, the Trump view and, and the, the Putin caucus view, uh, including some people that maybe had been supportive. I think that President, uh, former President Trump and former Secretary Pompeo should be disqualified from ever holding public office because of the comments Mike they made Pompeo, about Putin. Man. What a disgrace Ooh. Pompeo is because he, he clearly knows. Oh, better. man. But but look at, you know, Mitt Romney, who was obviously not a Trump supporter, but Mitt Romney came out and said things very clearly. Chris Christie came out and blasted uh, former President Trump for his Putin comments. And and so you've got people, some of whom were were part of the the, the Trump uh, team before other people who maybe were somewhat sympathetic or quietly sympathetic. Uh, A lot of Republicans are speaking up that this crosses the line for them. So I'm least happy to see that. But I'm disgusted to see that some are still playing the game. This is not a time for that. There's the, the, the truth is clear here. This is not a, a, a matter of opinion. Putin invaded a, a, a country. He had no legal right, no moral right, no military reason. There's no justification for it other than empire building. And he's subjugating the free will of a free people. And so, you know, if you want to take up for that, then uh, maybe you should go join him in, in Moscow. Uh, Ken said he'd buy you a ticket. I support that. <laughs> Ken, you want to add to that before we get out of here? Yeah, it's very simple. There was a great show in the seventies called Doctor Who, and one of the and one of the actors who played Doctor Who, Tom Baker, had a great line I've always remembered: "The truly powerful and the truly stupid have one thing in common: they don't change their opinions to fit the facts; they change the facts to fit their opinions." The simple fact is, your Trump supporters, and I agree with Rob, they are a coalition, not a monolith. Although it would be easier if they were a monolith. Are never going to change their opinion because they can't. They can't accept the fact that they're wrong because they accept the fact they're wrong on this issue and they may have to think about other issues. And Trump supporters can't think; they're incapable of thinking. You know, there's a great uh, simile uh, called the scorpion and the turtle. If you've ever heard about it, uh, very quickly, the scorpion stings the turtle. They both drown as they're drowning. The, the uh, the turtle goes to scorpion. Why'd you do that? We're both going to die. He said, "Yes, I know, but I can't. But I can't help myself. It's my nature." Okay, that's who they are. And to accept anything else, it's like cursing the darkness. Doesn't even do you a damn good. Doesn't bring on the light. Striking a match is, is going to bring on the light. Scary. And that's unfortunately right, well, that's- what we have. All right, we're at 8.30. you got to let these guys say their goodbyes so we can get to Matty C Sports for you and me. He's got a great show tonight, and it, the countdown's probably gone, so I'm going to start with Oscar and let him say his goodbyes. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Great show. We covered a lot. Keep reading. I'd like okay. to thank, thank all of our listeners and viewers, all 12 of you, to the people in Ukraine. Our hearts and prayers are with you. And for everybody else there, be informed, be safe. All right, guys, I got to get ready to get out of here. I'm going to show you guys this video of President Zelensky addressing the EU Parliament where he receives this standing ovation. It's very touching. And then, SpongeBob, you're going to take us home.
по Харкову. У нас є, знаєте, бажання, щоб наші діти жили. Мені здається, що це чесно. Вчора 16 дітей загинуло. І знов президент Путін скаже, що це якась там операція, і ми б'ємо по військовій інфраструктурі, де наші діти, на яких вони військових заводах працюють, на яких ракетах вони, може вони в танках їздять. 16 дітей ти вбив. Ми боремося за наші права, свободу, за життя. А зараз ми боремося за виживання. І це найголовніше наша мотивація. Але ми боремося і за те, щоб бути рівноправними членами Європи. Доведіть, що ви разом з нами. Доведіть, що ви нас не відпускаєте. Доведіть, що ви дійсно європейці. І тоді життя переможе смерть, а світ – Темлю. Слава Україні! Thank you for listening to The Booth on Hoobazoo and Hatcherradio.com. Please follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. The Booth is a Sinister One production hosted by Sinister One. I gotta start hanging out with friends that are a little more intelligent and understand politics instead. It's just that I'm up on this level up here and all my friends are down here. Me, nah. You guys, nah. Maybe a little more down, down here. Screw you guys, I'm going home. I smoke, I drink, I do my thing. These bitches hating, so you know I got to make it plain. Don't do cocaine with your chick, my main. We stick together, true forever, yeah, you know we bang. I miss those days, which was easy. If only I made it, bitch, don't repeat. Now that I done upgraded, I've been upstate, but y'all think I'm playing. And I gotta hit now for these weak assholes who think I ain't slaying. Try me, try me, and I'll probably end up laughing because I never back down. I'm that chick with a clean ass whip. I don't need that shit. Cause I got my own now. I get hot, I get tired of fussing, fighting. Guess I gotta crack down. Don't mess with me, cause on everything, I'ma have to bring the whole city W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O That's your website, enter your website, enter your website, enter your website, enter your website.